0: this week's reading is from john chapter 5 verses 16 to 30 so because jesus was doing these things on the sabbath the jewish leaders began to persecute him in his defense jesus said to them my father is always at his work to this very day and i too am working for this reason they tried all the more to kill him not only was he breaking the sabbath but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave them this answer Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can own, do only what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Yes. And he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the son, that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. Whoever does not honour the Son does not honour the Father who sent him. Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over from death to life. Very truly I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge, because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise, to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Thanks Thanks very much, Marigold. Um, Good morning, everyone. Um, In case you don't know me, um, this is Jake speaking, if you can't see on the screen. um, I'm the curator at St. Paul's. And as we've already heard this morning, it is Trinity Sunday in the church calendar. We often affirm the Trinity when we say the creed together. um, But it's always worth asking, what do we actually mean by those things? When we say, as we will do today, we believe. For instance, what does it mean for Jesus Christ to be the eternal begotten Son of the Father? What does it mean for him to be of one being with the Father? What about the Holy Spirit? If he's the third member of the Trinity, why is he not another son? And if not a son, why is he worshipped and glorified? Moreover, why do these things matter? Why do they even matter? How is the reality of God the Holy Trinity connected to our salvation and our lives of faith? Each one of those questions is enormous, and we won't have um, time to do justice to each one in this sermon alone. So at the end of this, you may go away feeling like you needed or wanted more. Equally, you may go away feeling like it was just too much. Wherever you find yourself uh, at the end of this, whether one side of the spectrum, or the other, or somewhere in between, I want to say that's okay. Because contemplating on God as the Holy Trinity is not just about what we know, but who we know. And my prayer is that there'll be something for everyone, um, something that everyone can receive by faith today, that together we might be led to a deeper joy in, a more captivated worship of and a richer communion with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So let's pray for that now. Psalm 36, verse 9 says, For you, for with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. Our Lord God, we ask that you might open the eyes of our hearts to see by faith more of what you've revealed to us, And would that lead us to an ever-increasing joy, an ever-increasing delight in you and a love for you, in whom is life itself. In the name of Christ, our Lord and Savior, amen. Well, our passage today is John 5, 16 to 30. Um, And just by way of introduction, it follows the incident on the Sabbath involving Jesus, a disabled man, and some religious leaders by the pool in Bethesda. Um, For 38 years, this disabled man had been unable to move. Days and weeks and months and years and even decades went by and all he could do was lie on his mat, anonymous and hidden in the background. He must have relied on the pity of others to survive. But when Jesus came along, he did more than simply take pity on him. Jesus saw him. Jesus spoke to him. And then Jesus completely healed him, which you'd think was a good thing. Yet the religious authorities got fiercely angry about it. First, they got angry because they saw the disabled man walking around carrying his mat. Perhaps he was causing a bit of a scene. You can imagine how happy he must have been. But according to them, mat carrying was in violation of the Sabbath. But then the religious authorities got angry with Jesus. They tried to persecute him. Literally, they moved against him. They harassed him. For in their mind, Jesus had no right to break the Sabbath by doing these things. And they got even more angry when Jesus explained that he did indeed have the right to do these things, because he was simply doing the work that his father had given him to do. That's chapter 5, verse 17. Um, now, in this next illustration, I don't wish to make any comments at all on Dominic Cummings' recent conduct, whether he was right or wrong to go to Durham during the lockdown. You can ask me what I think afterwards. Um, but for the moment, I just want you to think about the sizable level of the media's response to his actions. So when he sat answering questions in the in the garden of 10 Downing Street, the anger of the journalist towards him was, was palpable. Again, I make no comparison between Dominic Cummings and, and Jesus himself. But as you picture that anger towards him, magnify it by about 1000 times. And that's something closer to what we have here. The Jewish leaders had put Jesus in the dock, so to speak, and they interrogate him about his authority to do these things. Who do you think you are? You're doing the work of your father, you say. Are you making yourself equal with God? Outrageous. And claiming that that sort of thing before us, that those in authority over these things. And unlike our media, they didn't just want his resignation. They wanted Jesus silenced permanently. They wanted him dead. And they themselves wanted to kill him. Well, not that he needed to answer them. But Jesus provides his answer in um, verses 19 to 30. And they are extraordinary words, so much so that these very words have helped to guide the church in key matters of Trinitarian faith and doctrine for thousands of years. And as we explore this passage today, using the Nicene Creed as our guide, we're going to draw out just two of those key doctrines and consider the implications of them for us. And the first is this. Jesus Christ is forever and always the Son of the Father. Now, it's not always helpful to use technical names and concepts in a sermon, but sometimes it is, because it provides us with a finite and understandable way about, of talking about something that's really infinite and incomprehensible. What we're referring to when we say that Jesus is always and forever the Son of the Father is the concept of eternal generation or eternal begottenness. Now the word begotten can sound a bit old fashioned, but all it means is to come from a father. So eternal generation and eternal begottenness is to do with the relation between God the Father and God the Son. And what it affirms is that the divine son eternally comes from or proceeds from the Father, not like a creature who's made like us, rather, as the Nicene Creed says, the Son eternally proceeds as one who is God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. In other words, all that the Father is, is communicated to the Son, except from the fact that he is the father. The son is not less than the father in his godness. Now, with all that said, and despite it being the affirmation of the church for thousands of years, it's understandable that people have questions about it. After all, the phrase eternal generation is not in the Bible. So why should we focus on it? For others, it can sound a bit conceptual or abstract for them to connect with. How does eternal generation affect my relationship with God? Well, let's consider both of those important questions. First, the fact that eternal generation is not in the Bible should not trouble us. The the word Trinity is not in the Bible, yet here we are on Trinity Sunday. What matters is that the idea of eternal generation is taught in scripture, and not just from a few isolated verses, it arises out of a reflection on all of scripture's teaching about God and about Christ. And that's true in many, many ways. For instance, just think about the father-son language, which is in our passage. Our passage today says the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. That's verse 19. Words like these, which are all over the New Testament, take for granted that the Father is and always has been the Father. There was never a point when he became a Father that would introduce change into God. No, he's the Father because there's always been the Son. Likewise, the Son has always been the Son because there's always been the Father. So the father-son language tracks right into the very being of God. Another way eternal generation is demonstrated is through the idea of the father sending and giving to the son. The fact that it's the father who sent him, verse 23, serves to reflect something of their relations in eternity. Again, by that I don't mean that the, father, the, the son is lesser than the father, or even that the Son comes after the Father, because that would make the Son bound to time. It is simply that he is from the Father in all eternity, from, not after. And the temporary sending of the Son into our world conveys that eternal reality to us. Likewise, John five twenty six, for as the Father has life in himself, So he has granted the son also to have life in himself. Here, both the father and the son are said to have life in himself. Not a similar life, not a finite life like we possess. It is the same eternal life. Life in himself is a way of describing existence itself, which is the possession only of the creator of God. It belongs to the great I am, the source of being, the one who is and who was and is to come. Jesus' claim to possess life in himself, as well as to give life to others, is simply a claim that only God can make. The only difference is the manner in which the Father and the Son possess this life according to God's eternal nature and their relations. Again, the Son is God from God, Light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made. To say otherwise undermines the Trinity. It either conflates the person, blending them together, but that can't be because the son is not the father and the father is not the son, or it makes the son inferior to the father, which would make him less than God. So the doctrine of eternal generation serves to safeguard and express the true godness of the Son. That's something that the religious authorities in Jesus' day simply did not recognize. Now we could look at more examples, but the point is, eternal generation is both scriptural and foundational to Christian theology. However, crucially, why should it matter to us? What difference does it make in our lives of faith? Well, in many ways, it ought to be enough simply to know about eternal generation because through it, we come to grasp more of who God is in himself. And that's a wonderful thing. Ultimately, that's what really matters. It's what we're made for. The goal of the Christian life is to know and worship the triune God. And that worship is an end in itself. Even if you don't take away anything practical, so to speak, from this sermon, delighting in God will be the best thing for you. It will shape and orient you in a far, far more than simply a checklist of tasks to do this week. All that said, in God's goodness, eternal generation does offer even more to us. Because one of the ways that God reveals it to us is through our own adoption as sons and daughters of God. At the incarnation, the eternal son comes to us. More than that, he bears our true sonship as the second Adam, which has been marred since the fall. And through him, we are reclaimed as sons and daughters in the son. This is how Paul puts it in Galatians chapter 4. God sent his son born of a woman born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. Brothers and sisters, You can be an adopted child of God because Christ, the eternal son, brings us in to share in the life of God for all eternity. Our identity as children of God is grounded, not in our own righteousness apart from Christ, not in our own accomplishments apart uh, apart from Christ, not our own feelings apart from Christ, but in our union to Christ, the forever and always Son of the Father. That's why eternal generation is so beautiful a doctrine. But next, Jesus Christ is forever and always one with the Father. The religious authorities at the beginning of our passage were right about one thing. Jesus was indeed calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. What they got badly wrong is not believing and honoring him as such. Despite Jesus saying and doing things only God could say and do, they saw him as a threat to their own authority and power. And by the way, that's why pride and the abuse of power is so hideous when it's present in the church. But by rejecting Jesus Christ, they reject God. Because the Son is one with the father in being as the nicene creed says and as we've already seen through eternal generation but also in his works there's no disconnect between what jesus does and what god does the son's work is inseparable from the father's jesus says my father is always at his work to this very day and i too am working verse 17. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. And a bit further down um, from verse 19 into verse 21. for just as the father raises the son and gives them life, even so, just as the son gives life to, he, um, to whom he is pleased to give it. Jesus Christ is revealed as the co-equal Son of the Father through their inseparable work in the world. Which is why looking to Jesus, trusting him, honoring him, is to look to, trust in, and honor God. In other words, to get Jesus wrong is to get God wrong. Faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God is the very essence of being a Christian, and it 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 is Trinitarian through him, through our adoption and union with Christ, we receive life, eternal life verse twenty four from in and with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit i I can't help but go to jesus 's prayer in John chapter seventeen here um, you don't have to look it up. let me just read you uh, two verses from it Jesus. Praise this to the Father. I have given them, that's Christians, those who are united to Christ, the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought into complete unity. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the creation of the world. Extraordinary words that somehow we're brought in to share in the oneness of God. But without Christ, people remain in darkness, which ultimately leads to death. As Jesus says in verses 22 and 23 of our passage, the father has entrusted all judgment to the son That all may honor the son just as they honor the father whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him and the rest of the passage spells out the implications for that jesus christ is forever and always the son of the father and he is forever and always one uh, with the father but before we close you'd be entirely forgiven for thinking wait What about the Holy Spirit? It's Trinity Sunday, after all. All I'm going to say for now is that the same principles about the Son's procession from the Father in eternal generation applied to the Spirit's co-equality and oneness in God. The Nicene Creed says this, We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. Who proceeds from the Father and the Son, which is why he's not another son, because he proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. All that is of the Father and the Son is also of the Spirit, except for their fatherliness and, and sonship. And just as the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son in eternity, so his particular sending by the Father and Son in created history reflects this, including Christ's sending of the Spirit to mediate Christ's presence to us as he does while we await his return in glory. If you'd like to dwell on that more or anything else that we've reflected on today, I'd be very happy to recommend some reading after this. Just let me know. Equally, let's chat on Zoom. Um, If it would help to wrestle through any of these questions later, feel free to give me a shout. Um, But for now, let's finish with some words about Christ from our next song. And then we'll respond by reciting the Nicene Creed together. Our next song begins like this. Of the Father's heart begotten, when no world had come to be, He is Alpha and Omega, He the Source, the Ending He. Of the things that are, the things have been, and the future years shall see evermore and evermore. Amen. And um, just give me a moment to get the Nicene Creed on the screen, Um, and then we can say it together. Together we say, we believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, Amen.